Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. Going on, mate. Great to have you along for some more half-assed history. This week on the agenda, going to be having a chat about Thomas Midgley Jr., who uh, I have to say, unfortunately, ended up being one of the most recklessly destructive blokes that the world has ever seen. He was an inventor, a chemist, and a mechanical engineer, and by all accounts, he actually ended up being one of the worst individual influences on the environment that the world has ever seen. His legacy is obscenely negative, as he single-handedly led to the atmosphere being filled up with lead, as well as causing a huge hole to be burnt in the ozone layer, all down to this bloke, this one bloke. So essentially everything that he, he touched, you know, just turned to garbage. And uh, the world, it's not a very nice thing to say about someone, but honestly, the world would be a lot better off if he had just never really existed. Anyway, we're going to find out exactly what that means and, uh, you know, why that's the case. Uh, because it's true to say that Midgley did create huge problems for the entire world that we are still dealing with today. Uh, and somehow he managed to solve the problems that he was faced with in a way that ended up creating much bigger and scarier problems uh, later on. Anyway, we're going to start the story. Go back now to 1889. It starts sort of off innocuously enough when uh, he's born in, uh, in Pennsylvania. And his old man, also named Thomas, Thomas Senior, was also an engineer and encouraged him, his young son, to get uh, stuck into engineering and inventing and all that sort of stuff. And he had a very chap happy childhood and was actually a decent enough bloke, eventually going to Cornell University, where he snagged himself a degree in mechanical engineering. Straight out of university, gets up and about and lands a job with a newly established company, which you may have heard of, General Motors. Uh, talk about getting on the ground floor. When he joins the company in 1916, General Motors isn't even 10 years old, but it's already securing its place as an automotive powerhouse, buying out all these other new car companies and, uh, and merging other big ones together. Today, GM is worth hundreds of billions and puts together about 10 million cars a year. And I tell you what, back then they didn't, uh, they didn't muck around either. There was a big problem with cars back in those days. Uh, you know, despite the fact that they were starting to be produced uh, you know, on, on, a, on a large scale, there was a big issue with them. Uh, and uh, in solving this issue, uh, Thomas Midgley went on to uh, really, uh, really sort of just screw the entire world over uh, good and proper there. So the issue was called engine knock, which you may have heard of. So without getting too much into the chemistry behind it, which of course I understand, you know, to the to the nth degree, I hundred percent across all of this. I, you know, I just don't want to bore you with all the all the boring details and you know, relentlessly go on with my effortless expertise in this area. So, um, uh, essentially, what it involved was a fuel igniting uh, at the wrong time, and uh, the explosions that power the engine not firing at the right time or the right place. You may have figured out by now that I actually don't really understand the issue, but. You know, that's not my job. I'm a rubbish historian, not a rubbish scientist. Basically, because the fuel uh, because of the fuel that was being used in these cars, the engines weren't running properly, as I say, misfiring, going off the wrong time, and they'd make this funny knocking or, or peeing sound. Now, sometimes this didn't matter, and sometimes it didn't have any effect on the car driving, and uh, sometimes it blew the car to smithereens. So it was a little bit of a crapshoot. Uh, anyway, GM, like everyone involved with, uh, you know, in this new automotive industry, is looking for a way to deal with engine knock. And in 1921, when Midgley is working for GM at the Dayton Research Laboratories, he, said, he says to himself, bugger this, I'm going to solve this problem good and proper, see if I don't, engine knock, see you later mate, tell your story walking. 
an admirable attitude were it not for the fact that he royally, really screwed us all over and uh, by, you know, wrecking the atmosphere uh, as a result of uh, the solution that he found. Midgley reckons that all that needs to be done to fix this problem is to mix something else, some new compound, in, in with the, petrols that the, the, the petrol that these cars are using. It's just a matter of finding which substance to mix in. So firstly, he, he tries iodine, where, which as apparently he reckoned that, you know, if the petrol would absorb heat better, if it, you know, if it were dyed red, which seems bonkers to me, but again, he was the mechanical engineer. Um, uh, but he realised very quickly this idea was a, a bit of a dudsky. And so, do you know what he does? This is not a joke. Where While working in this lab, he gets out the old periodic table, developed by a chemist from Russia named Dmitry Mendeleev and first published in 1869. Just know that off the top of my head, definitely not reading that off, uh, off notes or anything. Uh, and decides uh, to just go through the list and add every single element one at a time until he finds one that works. Now, obviously, most of them do absolutely nothing. Uh, but finally, he stumbles across one that does the trick. It gets rid of engine knock completely. Bloody ripper. He's done it. Get around him. What a legend. The only problem is that the element in question is lead, which is already, even at that stage, known to be a very, very toxic Nonetheless, GM was able to patent the compound that Midgley put together to be added to the fuel and named it tetraethyl lead or TEL. They mainly referred to it as ethyl, however, because again, everyone at this, by this stage knows that lead is poisonous and they don't want to refer to it as, as lead. They want to refer to it as something that is going to be maybe a little bit more palatable for the public. And it works because once GM patent this compound, they make millions and squillions of bucks hand over fist because now everyone wants this new leaded petrol in their cars to stop their engines exploding, which is, you know, I guess fair enough. You know, you don't want your engine to explode, never mind the lead poisoning, everything else like that. An exploding engine is a little bit more of a uh, an in-your-face problem than, than, you know, the slow but sure uh, poisoning of the atmosphere with lead. People knew that lead was no good, um, all the same, and it did raise a couple of eyebrows here and there when it was being added to petrol all around the world. And the US government did attempt to step in and do something about it, but ultimately, in the face of all the money it was making for GM, they just couldn't do anything. Money makes the world go around, we all know that, and GM pushed through their pro-lead agenda in a huge way. Sweeping damaging reports under the rug, generally making life hell for anyone who wanted to get in the way of lead being whacked into petrol, and lining the pockets of those who were helping to make it happen. Midgley himself participated in, you know, stupid media stunts to show how safe lead was. On a couple of occasions, uh, in front of a bunch of journalists, he would wash his hands in tetraethyl lead, famously saying he was not taking any chance whatever. He would also breathe in the fumes from open containers and stuff, again, saying how safe it was despite lead being proven, you know, having been proven to be toxic. And uh, he was actually, you know, got to give him credit, he was pretty good at giving the bloody big sell, to be honest, which is uh, incredible to think that he, as the inventor, was also able to convince the people that it was, you know, that it was all good. But uh, ultimately, in, a, in a, you know, a little, little case of karmic justice here, the joke ends up being on Midgley uh, for a little bit there, because after all these stupid stunts, he actually ended up contracting lead poisoning, surprise, surprise, in 1923, and had to move to Florida to recover. After about a year's work in organic lead, he said, I find that my lungs have been affected and it's necessary to drop all work and get a large supply of fresh air. Well, yeah, what a, what a genius, mate. What a, what a conclusion, really. Quite astonishing. It says this. It's absolute dickhead. Despite knowing how toxic the, the stuff that he'd been peddling, you know, the stuff that he'd been putting into cars all around the world, despite knowing how toxic it was, he didn't care. He didn't care at all. And he poisoned himself just to sell this product. 
the plants and the factories where this stuff was being made saw so many people die or get sick from lead poisoning. But again, it was just making it was making too much money. It was making too much money for General Motors, and so they pressed on. And it's not just going into cars and killing poor factory workers. It's being you know farted right out of the exhaust pipe, and therefore into the atmosphere that we we're, we're all breathing. So now. We've got people around the world filling up at the Bowsers with this highly toxic lead-based fuel, and all of a sudden, the amount of lead in the atmosphere goes through the bloody roof. I talked about lead being poisonous. It absolutely messes you up. It can lead to all sorts of health issues, most of which involve the old brain box, you know, anything from headaches to memory problems, even lead to intellectual disabilities. And kids, in particular, get ruined by lead poisoning. It can wreck the development of their brains. And now, thanks to this bastard Thomas Midgley, tons and tons of the stuff are being spewed into the atmosphere every day. And this lasts for five decades. Lead-based fuels run rampant throughout the entire world until the 70s, when the governments finally come together to regulate, restrict, and then finally ban it throughout the 80s and the 90s. But still, the damage was done. 50 years of this toxic garbage was polluting the atmosphere. And even today, uh, we're not back to how it was before when it comes to atmospheric lead levels. Having said that, having said that, we have done a bang up job. And in the last 30 or 40 years, we've reduced atmospheric lead levels by 98%. Well done, fellas. Good job, you know, doing undoing some of the work that, uh, that Midgley did there. Still, it would have been better to have never had to deal with it in the first place if this prick Midgley hadn't gone ahead and, you know, just completely gave us an absolute sound thrashing here at the, with, uh, with, with atmospheric lead poisoning. Uh, if he hadn't done that to begin with, I think we'd all be a bit better off. But as I said... Mishley's legacy of wanton environmental destruction did not end with lead uh, with lead petrol, unfortunately. And even though we've done a lot of good work to reverse the effects of lead petrol, uh, Mishley was was not finished. He's like, huh, what else can I ruin about about this uh, this earth of ours? After he gets done by lead poisoning, he moves away from working with lead. Smart bloke, obviously. Yep, clever, clever stuff, my friend. And uh, he moves on to his next project. As we move into the 1930s, he's retrenched into Frigidaire, a company uh, also owned by General Motors that make, you know, big surprise, fridges. Now, before Midgley comes along, fridges are using stuff like ammonia or sulfur dioxide and propane, other poisonous or highly flammable substances to keep stuff cool. Now, Midgley is put on the job. He is told to find a new substance for fridges and air conditioners and, you know, stuff like that uh, that isn't so bloody dangerous. And, And, you know, in fairness... Ammonia, sulfur dioxide, propane, not the sort of stuff that you want just flying around willy-nilly in your kitchen while you're keeping your Diet Coke cold. So he's put on the job, and in that classic Midgley style, he addresses a a smaller-scale problem, like engine knock, by creating an issue of a global proportion, like out-of-control atmospheric lead levels. So think of that. After already having turned a small problem into an enormous one, he doubles right down and does it again with fridges. After heating the lab once again, he works on a new compound that had the very catchy name of dichlorodifluoromethane. It goes by the name of Freon, which is certainly a bit bloody easier to say. And uh, this substance is the very first chlorofluorocarbon, or CFC, which you may have heard of. And we'll come to uh, we'll come to what it does in just a sec. 
When it's first announced and revealed, people are crapping their DAX with excitement. They can't believe it. This stuff doesn't burn. It's not toxic. And it can, it can replace all the nasty stuff like ammonia and whatever else was in people's fridges beforehand. Midgley, bloody genius. He's done it again. Swish around the willows. He's cracked it he's straight into the pickets. What a legend he is. Get around him. Can't believe it. But within a few years, of course, Freon, standard inclusion in more or less every fridge. But of course, it has another... Uh, it has another... U- and within a few years, Freon is a standard issue inclusion in more or less every single new fridge. But even better, it has another use as well. People can uh, people realise it can be used as a propellant in spray cans. So when, uh, you know, jocks in the 1930s are bathing in Axe body spray or, you know, zhuzhing their hair with hairspray, they are farting out this Freon stuff all over the place once again. The parallels between, between tetraethyl lead and Freon are insane. Both of them were short-sighted responses to a very mild issue, and both of them had disastrous consequences for the environment. In the case of Freon, as the first ever CFC, it went on to ravage the ozone layer, ripping a great bloody hole in it right above, of all places, of all places the hole had to emerge, bloody strayer, mate. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve that kind of rubbish. Bloody tell your story, walking Thomas Midgley. What are you doing ripping a hole in the ozone layer in the greatest country on earth? What happens is this. CFCs don't break down under natural circumstances. So all these CFC molecules, they float around in the air basically forever. After they've been, you know, farted out of the, of the, uh, of the deodorant can, they just, they just hang around. They don't break down. They don't, uh, you know, nothing happens to them. So eventually, of course, they float up, up and up and up towards the upper atmosphere where they get all messed up by cosmic rays and all the other stuff that's going up, uh, on up there. Now, these cosmic rays do split the CFC molecules open and they make them spew out their constituent parts all over the place. And in doing so, all of these elements that make up uh, a CFC react with and start to gobble up the, the molecules that make up the ozone layer. So long story short, well, long story long, I guess, these CFCs chomp through the ozone layer like you wouldn't believe, and the ozone layer is crucial, as you probably know, in shielding the Earth from ultraviolet light, which obviously causes skin cancer and, you know, messes with biospheres based on soil bacteria and other stuff like that. So all of a sudden, scientists in the 80s can't believe it. There's this gaping great bloody hole in the ozone layer, and we're all in deep poop, and it's all because of these bloody CFCs. So yet again, Thomas Midgley's near sight this this myopic approach of this absolute idiot uh you know his approach to solving problems has gone right ahead and absolutely screwed us over as for a second time a single atom from a cfc can chew through 100,000 ozone molecules before it's spent and that means that even today as you're listening to this in 2019 cfcs that were spent powering your granny's fridge are still eating through the, the atmosphere like a fat kid at smorgies so, let's have a bit of a review here, why don't we? Old mate Thomas Midgley Jr. managed to turn engine knock into dangerous atmospheric lead levels and smelly fridge gas into an ozone-eating crisis. Believe it or not, however, believe it or not, his habit of turning small problems into huge problems is not over. It is, in fact, quite literally the very last thing that this man does. 
As we crack onto the 1940s, this guy Midgley is beloved by all these idiot organizations around the world. Not only does he have over 100 patents to his name, he's got a trophy cabinet in the pool room the size of, you know, a bloody jumbotron. He's been given the American Chemical Society's Nichols Medal for his tetraethyl lead in 1923. He's been given the Perkin Medal by the Society of Chemical Industries for his uh, uh, Freon in 1937. And he also snags the American Chemical Society's highest award in 1941, the Priestley Medal. But by this stage, however, life has caught up to this prick. He's gone and got polio, poor bastard. Now, this caused him, unfortunately, to become pretty severely physically uh, disabled, which, you know, despite all the stuff that he did to mess with the planet, it's still no good for anyone having to have to deal with. So, you know, I don't know if he necessarily deserved it. Anyway, he definitely deserved this next bit because in true Midgley style, once again, he gets straight into solving, trying to solve this relatively minor issue, uh, trying to find a way uh, to maintain his mobility despite his disabilities. And what he does here is he invents a system of pulleys and ropes and wires and stuff that's uh, supposed to help him uh, get around and, you know, in and out of his bed and and that sort of thing. And in the grand tradition of his inventions throughout the years, this one comes a gutzer and buggers everything up for him. Because in 1944, at the age of 55, he was found dead, strangled to death after getting all tangled up in the ropes and all the, you know, the wires and everything of his invention. So very much hoist by his own petard there, again, turning a relatively minor issue, you know, mobility while suffering from a disease, into a, uh, a pretty major one, you know, killing yourself with your own invention there. So in true Midgley fashion, that was how he went out. That was the end of the bloke who, in the words of the historian J.R. McNeil, had more impact on the atmosphere than any other single organism in Earth's history. Well, that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the story of Thomas Midgley Jr. And uh, I think it's safe to say, not again, not a very nice thing to say about anyone, but I think it's safe to say we really would have been better off without this bloke having ever, ever walked the Earth. Anyway... That's the end of another episode. I hope you uh, enjoyed it. Certainly, you know, thank you very much for hanging out with me this week and enjoying another episode. Well, not even enjoying it. Maybe you hated it. I don't care. Still listen to it. So, gotcha. Whatever. Uh, thanks for listening to another episode of Half House History. Uh, the usual rubbish uh, housekeeping announcements here halfhousehistory.net, the website, contact form there, or you can use an email at uh, halfhousehistory at gmail.com. Always great to hear from people. Get in touch with me, send me your address, and I'll send you through some stickers for absolutely free. And uh, any other feedback, or if you've got an idea for a topic or anything else like that, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear from you i'd love to hear from you um apart from that uh, if you want to get across the uh, the podcast's twitter page it's at half assed history without no wouldn't fit very annoying and uh there's daily facts post up there and links to new episodes and all that sort of stuff um on top of that um thank you to also the supporters on patreon got a bunch of patrons who are chucking me money every month and i certainly i cannot words cannot properly express how much it means to me it is it is a very very humbling thing to have people support me in this way so thank you so very much to uh, to the patrons uh if you if you're a patron I, I do want to sort of give back something and uh, you know do something special for you for all of you uh so if you've got any ideas as a patron please send me an email and, and i'll see if i can sort something out for you uh but that's it that's what that's that leaving you as as ever with a question posed on reddit uh we we've had a very science heavy uh, episode this this time so this one is more of a science question than a uh, than a history question asked by pomegranate plates and uh, they want to know to combat global warming why don't we just poke some more holes in the ozone layer and let some of the cold air from space in 